Welcome to the Creativity Lab, the podcast that shows how to channel your creativity to live your best, most beautiful life. And now here's your host, director of the Creativity Lab at West Los Angeles College, Harvard PhD, TV writer and professor, Dr. Catherine Boutry. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Each episode, we discuss a creative approach to life's challenges. Today, we talk to impressive former West LA College student, activist, and professional athlete, J.T. Chestnut, about the importance of finding a creative outlet. J.T. explains how running saved his life and helped him to overcome foster homes, abuse, discrimination, and addiction. J.T. is now thriving as a sponsored runner, competing in marathons throughout the country as he completes a degree at Cal State LA in marketing. JT, thank you so much for being here today. I have such fond memories of you as a student a few years ago, um, but I know that you've had kind of some struggles along your way, which I found incredibly impressive, which you shared with the class. I wonder if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about some of the challenges you faced in your journey into becoming the amazing young man that you are today. You're an athlete, you're a student, what can you share with us? Well, it's great to see you as well, Professor. Um, you know, I think one thing that I can truly say about myself is I'm a work in progress, and all the things that I've gone through in my life, I'm very grateful for, even the good and the bad times, you know. I was born and raised in North Carolina um, to um, a very a strict, uh, strict father, and my mother, very religious, devoted, uh, Southern Baptist woman and one older sister. So growing up back in North Carolina, it, it was a good time where I felt that I was loved by my family. We were in a great church community and we just lived in a great town, you know. It was a small Southern town, but we all knew one another and it was pretty cool. Um, it wasn't until I was about 14 you know, 14 or 15, that transition from going uh, from middle school into high school when you start to know yourself mm. and you start to become a, a different person. And I noticed that when my father started to treat me differently, you know, uh, he was becoming more abusive verbally and physically, and he will always say, you know, before you turn 16, I'm just going to beat your behind. And I really didn't think about that. I just said whatever to it. but. I started to establish a friend group where it was very positive. It was a very positive friend group and I loved them and they loved me, but dealing with the fact that there's still, even though this was in 2004, 2005, there was still that Southern mentality of where, you know, a young gay black kid should not hang around with upper middle class white girls or something, you know? So my dad was not fond of that. Excuse me for interrupting. You were out to your family. I came out to my family when I was 16 years old. I never forget that. It was probably a few weeks before my 16th birthday and I told my family that I was gay and um, as much as I thought it was going to be like the Huxbulls, they'll say, oh, we love you, don't worry about it and all that. Have like a good old hug from like a Claire Huxbull type mother. It wasn't that way. Um, my dad beat the crap out of me that evening and my mom was so upset and disappointed and my family just disowned me. I'm sorry. So when that happened, I was angry. I was very angry and I was upset and I was placed into foster care in the county um, that I lived in in North Carolina. 
So I was bouncing from home to home. And the reason why I was bouncing from home to home was the foster parents were like, you know what, we just don't, oh, sorry, we just can't do it. We just can't have a, a, a young gay kid in our home with other kids as well, too. It'll probably be a bad impression. Mm-hmm. And I was so upset about that. But the one thing that kept me going was just the endurance that I had with my running. I was still running um, back when I was in high school. I ran cross country from my freshman year to my senior year, and I had that thing that was good for me, that kept me alive. And I know for a fact that if I stopped running, it will probably be the end of me. So even when I was feeling down and out, I will go for a run out in the neighborhood of the foster parents I was staying in, and then I will come back and say, where were you? You know you weren't supposed to be gone for that long. And I said, I really had to go for a run. I'm not trying to do anything. This is what I do, and it keeps me at the time. I didn't know this back then, but it kept me mentally intact. You know, I really know what I would do if I didn't have that running aspect with me the whole time. So it came to a point where I was being placed from home to home to home to the point where my social worker said, I'm so sorry, but we have to place you into a group home. And I was 17 at the time. And I said to myself, you know, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. And I'll never forget it was the 4th of July weekend of 2006. I think I was only there for one day. And I remember that evening like it was yesterday, Professor. It was just one of those moments after it was curfew, I was in that room where I was placed in and I said a prayer to myself. I said, God, whatever's about to happen, please keep me, please protect me. That's another thing that I still have within me. I still had my faith. I still have my faith because my mom implemented that and she taught me that always trusting God no matter what. So I still have my faith with me. And I remember that evening I ran away. Mm. And I remember, I always tell my uh, friends this or people that I've never met, I'm like, you remember that scene and what's love got to do with it when Tina Turner was running down the highway when she finally left Ike? That's how I felt. I ran miles and for miles and miles towards UNC Chapel Hill. And at the time, my older sister, Shannon, she was uh, a student there at the time. She was a junior. So I ran to, a rest area stop, called her on a payphone and asked her to pick me up. So I stayed with her in her apartment for about three days and then my parents picked me up and for some reason, they thought that everything was okay, it was fine, nothing happened. And after about two or three days being back with my parents, I had to let them know, I said, hey, just to let you know that I'm still gay. And that's just something that's not going to be to change. And that moment was the moment where I knew that my relationship with my family was going to be different. That dynamic was going to be different. And again, they kicked me out again. But I was very blessed that my best friend at the time, his family took me in. Mm. So I was adopted by another family, um, placed in foster care with, with them. And I was very blessed to have that second family. And after high school, after high school, I was in that period where I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. And you know, when you're younger, you always wanted the love from a parent, especially when you felt like you've done something wrong. In order to please them, you have to earn that love some type of way. So I joined the Army. And I did not want to do it, but my father kind of made a stance of saying, you know what, if you really want to be a man, you really want me to respect you, you're gonna join the army. 
So I joined the Army, and I did a great job. I, I was doing a great job in basic training. I slayed in it. I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised because I thought you were going to say it was awful. So that's... Well, I... You're so resilient. You made something good out of I it. I made it work. I made it to my own thing. Mm. But it got to a point that a lot of, of my... Um, of the people in the platoon that I was with, the guys who still had that horrific type of mind of think that I couldn't be who I was. And of course, I wasn't out back then because Don't Ask, Don't Tell was still active. They did not like it. And it was one evening when I was jumped and mm. I was jumped and I was abused by them and I feared for my life. So I decided to just go AWOL from the army. And that was a time where I still did not know what the heck I was going to do with my life, Professor. But I still had that power of endurance within me. I always said, I'm gonna make this work. I'll figure it out down the road. So I moved to California. Not sure what made me say, I'm going to move to California, but I'm going to move to California. So when I moved out here, I started a new life. I lived in Laguna Beach for a year. And then I moved up to uh, West Hollywood area, Los Angeles. Started a really, really good life for myself. I, uh, my first job was an office manager and a volunteer coordinator for the Los Angeles Democratic Party um, of the West Hollywood and Beverly Hills headquarters. And it was wonderful because it was a, it was one of those momentum moments where you just like, you know, it, it's unbelievable how when I was 18 years old, the first time I could ever vote was for President Barack Obama. Mm. But it was bittersweet though because no one ate lost and Proposition 8 was for marriage equality, and that's what started the new chapter of me becoming an activist and working in politics and and working for all these companies where, you know, these nonprofits where you had a voice. You can represent someone and you can stand your ground and be who you are. So once I finished that point of my life, I started to say to myself, all right, well, I need to do something where I know that I can still staying with my running and have an income with that. So of course I began with working in the service industry and that's when my running really, really picked up. I had the money where I could travel and meet people and run race after race after race. So I decided, you know what, if I'm going to all these events, why not make something fun for these track meets and these events? So I would start doing these um, events after a three day um, weekend of meets of like the U.S. Olympic trials, the USA um, track and field summer championships or indoor championships. And I will host these events for all the athletes, the agents, the coaches, and sponsors who believed in running and loved running as well too. So I found that little shtick within myself and I was very, very happy with that. And it got to the point where you had that moment when you're about to enter your 30s where you say to yourself, okay, adulting's about to kick in. <laughs> and I need to adult pretty soon. And I said to myself, all right, well, let's make it happen. Let's start school. We have to begin somewhere because at the end of the day, we do not, me, myself, I do not want to serve tables for the rest of my life. Mm. I need to have an education and I need to become a better person when it comes to that. And then one, um, one uh, fall afternoon, I believe. Yes, it was one fall afternoon. I walked into the classroom of this woman named uh, Professor Baltry, and I was just like, you know what? I am bedazzled. I am amazed by this woman. 
in oh. the bluest eye and all that, you know. That's very it, sweet. it was a great point of my life where I knew that I was going to start making a change. And it felt good. But then something happened, the pandemic. And when the pandemic happened, my image to like uh, my view of seeing the top of the mountain of reaching to my goal stopped. And I was into a pl and I became a person that I did not know. I started to become very, very aware with my sickness that I had of being an alcoholic. Mm. And I started to see that a lot of things were not happening towards my favor because of this one sickness that I did not believe that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. And even though I was still running, I was still racing, I was still on the front lines protesting for social um, equality and for social justice, for George Floyd and Amanda Burry and everything, I was still not the person that I wanted to be. And it wasn't until October of 2020, October of 2020, um, my sister was recently married and I went back home for the wedding mm. and my mother sat me down and it was one of those talks where you have with someone who really, really loves you. And she was speaking from her heart. She said, please get some help. I love you dearly. You're amazing. You're one of the best people that I know. And if you do not get the help you need, you're going to kill yourself. Mm. And here I am thinking, okay, I went AWOL from the army, but I did my part by surrendering a few years after having my slate clean. Mm. Okay, I should be good to go. This happened back in 2016, but I'm saying to myself, why am I still not happy? Why am I still fighting something? Why do I feel like there is something that's holding me back from reaching my potential? And after I landed back in LA and went to sleep, that next morning, it all hit me. And that's when I knew that I had a problem. And that's when I knew that that was the one thing that is holding me back with every single little thing that I've always wanted to achieve, Professor. So after a long period of mindfulness and working the program of trying to understand who I was and being in recovery and starting to talk to people and making the living amends and understanding and just trying to become a better person, I have to say at the age of 33, I am the happiest that I have ever been. It shows, you're glowing. And one of the one things that I'm so blessed to always say that I've always had would be endurance. I've always had the endurance to keep pushing and pushing and to keep on going. And for the first time, not running away from something. Cause I ran away from the army situation. I ran away from every little perspective that I, like perspective or of like soon to be something amazing that was about to happen, but I'll always run away for some odd reason. Mm -hmm. But I decided not to run away for this one. And it feels amazing and we're here today. So, yeah. I am just so inspired by your story. It's so incredible. And you were such a good student no one would have known what you were struggling with. Mm. Um, I have so many questions, but I don't think you're someone who runs away. Yes, you ran away from a foster home, a few foster homes, and you ran away from the army, but you were s surviving. You were finding a way for yourself. And I'm really struck how you stood up to your father when you came back and said, this is my truth. Because it would have been very easy if they were willing to accept that 
you had, you know, you weren't going to bring that up to them, mm -hmm. that they would have just put that aside. But you faced everything. You came and you faced all of your fears. So that must feel really incredible. Did you ever reconcile with your father? I did. I mean, you know, it's the type of reconciliation where you could say, I know that I had to start over. And I know that I had to say to myself, I forgive you. But in order for us to make this work, this is a two-way street. Um, I was home not too long ago and um, actually over spring break. And my father and I, we had a really good time. It was great. Oh, it was great seeing him and everything. And I can tell that there's parts of him that he knows that he needs to work on. But you know, it's a generational thing. I mean, you're speaking about an old school man who was born in the late 50s, early 60s. He's not gonna to say to someone straight up, I'm sorry, or this is what it is, unless a touch by an angel, Della Reese moment <laughs> happened or something. But he's gotten much better. And our relationship has been much better because if you were talking to me, Professor, probably about, it's 2022, if you were talking to me about seven years ago, I would be at a different place. I wouldn't really speak about my father, mm. not at all. But it's gotten much better. I'm very, very pleased with it. Is it hard to be back in the South? It is. Actually, it's become easier, but it can be hard at times because I have to ground myself in a way where I understand that we are all connected, but at the same time, you kind of want to tap them on the shoulder and say, you cannot talk to someone that way, or right. you cannot have that type of thinking. And you don't want to throw shade. You don't want to say, look, I know you've been here all your life. We've gone, like, we went to high school together and you haven't moved. But you still have to hope one day that they can at least open up their eyes and start a conversation with someone. Well, and it's brave of you to go home, knowing that you confront some of those feelings, those memories. I mean, that that's a brave person to keep trying. You do have resilience and you do have perseverance. It's really incredible. So what's what's happening now for you? Where are you now? Well, right now, um, full-time student, we're at Cal State LA. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, major is marketing. Very pleased with that. Also, I'm doing a very wonderful job when it comes to my running. I have a couple of sponsorships. Wonderful. Um, Athletic Brewing Company, Run Rabbit, um, Run Local, which is a North California running company. Life is really, really good. I'm very blessed with that. But, you know, what makes me, what really makes me happy and brings me joy is understanding that each day is a new day and learning about myself every single day keeps me going to to keep on pushing keep on growing keep on just doing the best that i can you know did you ever feel like giving up along the way there's been times i felt like giving up but you know i definitely i definitely feel that my um the spirits and also the, the the memories and the spirits of my elders are with me. Mm -hmm. uh, I was very, very close with my great-granddaddy, Colester, and he died at the age of 99 when I was 14. Sorry, when I was 15 years old. So we had a relationship. We were very, very close. He was like my first original best friend. So mm -hmm. I know that I have people watching over me, and that's kept me going, you know? Like always reflecting on times where I really wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I had these good opportunities to come in my life. I have to keep pushing for that. I think he'd be incredibly proud of you. I hope so. How do you keep creativity alive in your life today? 
You know, I believe keeping creativity alive is something vital because I always do my best to practice mindfulness. And by practice mindfulness, that's when my mind can open and I can go out to engage in conversations with so many people. I can go out to say, you know what, I'm going to try this new thing. I'm going to try this new activity because I want to keep my creativity alive because that's who I am. And not only that, you can connect to so many other people with that too. And I truly believe that as long as we do that, we have more purpose in our life. We cannot stand in that little bubble or be so just complacent about certain things that's not going to keep us going, you know? What's next for you? And what would your ideal, where would you like to be in 10 years? What's your ideal picture? Okay, uh, in 10 years, I love to see myself hopefully working a ton and maybe having my own marketing agency, um, working with hospitality groups and also some sporting um, sporting brands as well. That'll be great. Um, still living here in Los Angeles. Los Angeles will always be my home. Like to travel probably about twice a year to other countries for extended stays and everything. And you know, I, I just want to continue to thrive and be happy. Um, if I meet someone very special in my life, okay, that's fine. But right now, I'm very happy just being who I am and focusing on the relationships and the connections that I have with other people and seeing them thrive as well. I mean, that really, really makes me happy is seeing other people thrive. I understand that we like to thrive ourselves, but when you see the people that you love and you appreciate hitting their goals and fulfilling their dreams, it makes you it makes you even more like say, yeah, that's what that's what it's all about, definitely. Well, your story is really incredible and if I'm sure if you had something to share with other community college students, what would you tell them for advice? If they're struggling, if they're wondering if they can keep going, what would you say? I would definitely say to keep pushing and to keep going. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, live in the present, launch yourself on every way, find your eternity in the moment, you know? Beautiful. Think about, think about the here and now and try your best to know that something else will come towards your favor in the future because it's all about how you're handling it right now. And if you're doing a great job, even when you're having the roughest of days, the reward at the end is going to be worth it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs>